Today is Pentecost Sunday. Celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world, the birthday of the church. Um, so the church, that's capital C. Capital C for you guys. Capital C Church, the big C, the whole universal church, birthday. So we're about uh, 2,023 years, around, not quite, about 2,000 years old now. Um, day of Pentecost. So here's is what happened. We're in Acts chapter 2. On the, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And boom, the world has never been the same. That's not actually in the Bible. That was the Haynes paraphrase for the rest of Acts and all of church history. Hey, I want to thank you. I'm really glad you uh, chose to participate with us, uh, either on online or here with us uh, this morning. And um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. It's Pentecost Sunday. What else would we do? Um, We've been talking about what it means to grow as followers of Jesus, to become mature uh, followers of Jesus. We started with this basic idea, all of us as human beings have experienced pain. All of us seek to protect uh, our inner selves uh, from more pain, from more suffering. Uh, whether we refer to uh, our inner selves as our souls, our spirits, our hearts, or something else, whatever we call that, we put walls up, build a fortress, a protection around them. Uh, our focus then becomes on altering behaviors outside those walls to try to protect us from any more pain. Uh, and to make life pleasant, to make us comfortable and secure. Uh, we, we resolve to have positive attitudes and fix all of our problems. Uh, and we become exhausted and frustrated because most of the problems we have aren't really outside, they're inside. We have bad attitudes and issues inside our inner being that cause us to respond badly to things going on outside of us. Um, fortunately, knowing Jesus is, he comes to help us transform our, our values, our beliefs, our characters, those things that reside inside of us, deep inside of us. And by experiencing his unconditional love, our wounds are healed and our temperaments are tamed. And prayer is one of those keys to experiencing his love. Um, 
Timothy Keller, uh, pastor and uh, church leader in New York City, um, just passed away this uh, past week. Uh, one of the things, he, he wrote a book entitled <laughs> Prayer, and uh, one of the things he said is prayer is the main way we experience deep change it's the, re the reordering of our passions and desires. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the incredible things he has for us. It is the way we know God and the way we treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. Jesus' first followers, as they were his disciples, as they observed his life of prayer, asked him to teach them how to pray. In fact, we find that story in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be reading that uh, those verses from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Uh, Luke records only two times when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them something. They ask him to teach them how to pray, and he asked them. They ask him to increase their faith. That's the only. Those are the only things they ask him for, according to Luke, in, in his record of, of Jesus' life and ministry. Those are the only two things that he they ask for. Uh, and so here's the first one, Luke chapter eleven, starting in verse one. He Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Now pause for a moment. I, I don't know what you're seeing in your mind, but probably you're seeing loaves of Bread, like Wonder Bread, or we're talking pita bread. That's the kind of bread Jesus saw. Little round pitas. I mean, three pitas. That's what you're asking your neighbor for. Three pitas. Three loaves of pita bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside, Jesus says, don't bother me, the door's already locked, my children and I have gone to bed, I can't, I won't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though you won't get up, he won't and give you anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and the one who knocks 
and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You know, stop for a moment and just address uh, something. Admittedly, this uh, father language is uncomfortable for some people. Uh, it creates distance for, for some of us. Instead of uh, fostering warm feelings and intimacy, it creates more of a wall or a chasm between us and God. Uh, because we think of if he's a father, then uh, we don't really want to have anything to do with him because of the way our our human fathers have treated us. Uh, will he abandon us? Will he uh, make promises he doesn't keep? Uh, will he bring more scars, more pain, more wounds? Um, and so there are people who advocate that uh, we have to just drop this this idea of God as father. But I think Jesus, and, and well, okay, I'm not going to put words in Jesus' mouth, but I'm going to suggest that perhaps instead of dropping the imagery of God as Father, that we need to keep it to redeem it, to heal it. The answer to a failed father is not to reject fatherhood, but to redeem fatherhood. We, we carry the pain from what we've experienced because we instinctively know what a good father ought to be like. And we mourn the death of not having that. And I think Perhaps Jesus is inviting us to discover the healing power of God's fatherhood in our lives. He's a father, God's a father, who never leaves, who never breaks his promise, who never hurts us. He's a father who cares and protects and cultivates us. He's a father who listens to our deepest hurts and dreams and shares them both. He is a father who looks us in the eye and tells us that he loves us and believes in us and is proud of us. Jesus invites us to delight in a father like that. He sees the pain that the, fa the fathers of this world cause in their brokenness, but instead of helping us avoid that pain, he offers to heal. So here's the, the pinnacle of his teaching and his principles on prayer. The disciples say, teach us to pray. And he gives them a quick model. It's kind of a condensed version of the Lord's Prayer that we know from Matthew in his Sermon on the Mount. Um, and then he teaches them, again, with a couple of parables. And then he ends with this statement. 
If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the, heaven, your, the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And it seems like in teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus has one major agenda, and it's not about technique. He doesn't say to them, this is how to get whatever you want out of God. Which I think is what we would really prefer. Okay, maybe not everybody, but some of us would. Jesus' primary is, well, I would say single objective and agenda in his teaching of prayer is to let us know what God is like. So the first example, he talks about the friend, if friend shows up in the middle of the night at your house, unexpected, and you were planning to go to the grocery store tomorrow, and the cupboards are bare, what do you do? You run next door and at hope that the neighbor will give Bartlett loan you a couple of pizzas so you can give your neighbor, you know, your unexpected guest a sandwich. And your friend is saying, nope, I'm in bed, leave me alone. Nope, I'm in bed, leave me alone. Nope, I'm in bed, leave me alone. And you're making so much racket on this front porch, your friend's phone is starting to ring from the neighbors saying, would you please give the guy a pita so he can go to bed? You know, he's starting to get embarrassed because you're making a scene on his front porch. Fortunately, he does not call 911 to have the sheriff come and take you. Instead, he just gets out of bed and gives you the... What is Jesus saying? If you bug God long enough, God will give you whatever you're asking for? That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that God is nothing like that guy. God is the exact opposite of this guy. If, 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 there's, a, if there's a guy who doesn't really care who's going to get up and get out of bed, how much more will your Heavenly Father, who does care about you, Come to your aid when you ask for help. There is no need for shameless audacity. There is no need for loud persistence. There, just ask, just seek, just knock. God will answer. He cares. The second example, there is no father, no Okay, there, no decent father is going to give his kid poison when they ask for milk. I'm sure we could probably think of some really evil fathers who would do really bad things to their kids. But they are the exception to the rule. But even... Even if the normal people can do good things for their children, how much more will our loving, generous, heavenly Father, how much more? Jesus wants to share his confidence in his heavenly Father and our heavenly Father with us. He's basically saying God is so much better than the best you can possibly imagine. I can't possibly 
fully get it across to you because you don't even have a category to process it. How much more will he do? Our Heavenly Father gives us daily bread, he gives us forgiveness, he gives us peace, protection, deliverance, and so much more. But how much more will he give us the Holy Spirit, the gift of his very presence, nearer than our breath? Pause with me for a moment. We talk about this. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Let's talk about the, what's going, what happened and began happening to us as followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. The creator of the universe began to take up resonance to live in people like us. And when we ask God for his Holy Spirit, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to live in us. For his presence to be closer than the air in our lungs. Our Heavenly Father, God is better than the best we can possibly imagine, and he's even better than, than that. So if God generously gives his spirit to, to renovate and remake us and to reside in everyone who asks, how do we welcome the Holy Spirit? It is so simple to say. We ask. We ask for more of his presence so that we can work with Jesus. Join Jesus in the work that he has in bringing love and healing grace to other people. See, the primary answer to really all of our prayers is God's presence living in us as the Spirit lived in Jesus. We tend to focus, though, on those secondary things, the surface needs. We think about all those problems that are out here, those situations. I, I need my daily bread, I need this, I need that, this and this and this, and God is more than happy to meet those needs. Jesus taught us to pray about those things. But how much more will God give us the Holy Spirit to come and reside deep inside of us when we ask? When we ask, we need this not be in a hurry. And we need to take time to pray. We need to find friends to pray with us. I don't think this is a, this is not a solitary prayer project. This is something we do together. And we need to do what Jesus outlines for us to do in these verses. Keep asking and it will be given. The Spirit will be given to you. 
Keep searching and you will find the Spirit. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. The Spirit will come and fill you. Specifically, keep asking for a deeper desire for the Holy Spirit. Before we can be filled with the Spirit, author A.W. Tozer said, before we can be filled with the Spirit, the desire to be filled must become all-consuming for us. The degree of fullness in anyone's life matches perfectly with their intensity the intensity for the, of their desire to be filled. We have as much of the Holy Spirit as we actually want. Second thing we need to do is keep searching for more substantial surrender to God's will. See, that's one of the things that, that keeps us from actual, that actually wanting the Spirit. Is we have to Surrender our wills to Him. The two prayers, two these two prayers of Jesus, that that one that He taught us and one that He prayed in the garden, uh, have to become our consistent prayers. The, the prayer from Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, Your kingdom come, Your will be done in me as it is in heaven. And then the prayer He prayed in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. These have to become our consistent prayers. We have to keep searching for a deeper and deeper surrender of our wills to him. And then we need to keep knocking on the door of increased confidence in Jesus' promise. How much more, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? How he is just so ready and so willing and so able to fill us. How convinced are we? How confident are we that it's going to happen? We need to have this. I'm going to make the sermon in a sentence a prayer for us today. It's, I think it needs to be a constant and repeated prayer because there is so much of the Holy Spirit we need and so much uh, that we need to continually have him working in our lives. Come Holy Spirit, I need you. Simple prayer. Come Holy Spirit, I need you. So I ask you, have you asked the Father, have you asked God to give you the Holy Spirit? Have you asked the Father, to give you the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray. Dear God, I'm asking you today for more of your Holy Spirit. I'm seeking more of your holy love. presence and your holy power in my life. And I'm asking not so that I have some kind of an experience, some kind of uh, 
reputation, but I ask for the sake of those who need your touch, your grace, and your mercy, and that you want to touch through my life. I ask for those who need to be healed, whatever brokenness that they have, they receive your grace, your healing grace. And through the promise of Jesus, confidence that more, how much more you want to give, I ask for more of your Holy Spirit right now. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. I am open and willing to be used by you in any way you choose. I'm willing to be used by you to bring healing and encouragement to the broken and bruised around me. I surrender myself to your work. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you. I want to be used by you. Equip me as you see fit. is stirred and I yearn to work with Jesus to bring God's healing restoring grace to others work in me and through me as only you can do Let's, uh, let's sing that song. Fill me now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. We have been called. We have been anointed. We have been given a task, a mission. We go carrying God's good news to the world. News about freedom from oppression and healing for the broken. The time of the Lord's favor is now. Hallelujah. You are sent. Go with Jesus. <laughs> 